The Tom Woods Show, episode 1204, bonus episode. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hi, everybody. Tom Woods here. Those of you among my listening audience who are listening today are the ones who are dearest to my heart because here is the long-awaited follow-up to some of my previous episodes on Progressive Rock with Brad Berzer. But today we have a particularly special episode because we're joined not only by Brad Berzer but also by Roy Avon. And Roy spelled R-O-I-E. Roy is the editor and founder of the Prague Report, which you can visit at pragreport.com, and in particular is the author of a tremendous new book called Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums, Images and Words Behind Prague's Most Celebrated Albums, 1990 to 2016. I'll link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1204. Brad, for his part, of course, is a professor of history at Hillsdale College. He now has a website, Brad Berzer, B-I-R-Z-E-R, bradberzer.com, and he's been associated with the progressive rock website, progarchy.com. So you want to check that out, plus progreport.com, but really you want Roy's tremendous book. It's a beautiful book to have in your collection. It's very attractively laid out, but also you'll learn an awful lot, and it's a tremendous fun to read. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Tom. Always great to be here. I'm really glad to welcome Brad back because uh, he's been on so many times. And hey. I was just <laughs> saying, I was just saying that I've been threatening another Brad Berzer music episode for so long. My, I was starting to lose credibility in my threats, so now I'm able to make good on it. And uh, also joined yeah. by by Roy. That's a, a great treat, also because we want to talk about this uh, beautiful book. I mean, it's not just that it's great to read and, and you learn, uh, you get exposed to a lot of music you wouldn't have known about otherwise, but it really is a beautiful book. It's just, uh, it's just very well, well done. Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums. And of course, um, a lot of folks listening will know something about what we're talking about, but even those who do, many of them will think that the age of progressive rock is long behind us, that it was the age of Yes and Pink Floyd and to some extent, Jethro Tull and uh, King Crimson and bands like that, maybe Rush, possibly. Uh, but there's so much more. And Brad and I have sometimes uttered the heretical thought that the so much more is um, arguably better than some of the old stuff. But but let's <laughs> let's save those heresies for later. Roy, why don't right, you, as, sure. the, as the author of this book, take yeah. a moment to try to define what progressive rock is? Boy, that's, you know, that's the million-dollar question, isn't it? Uh, you kind of well, know it when you hear it. It's one of those things. That's for sure one thing. Um, and a lot of people think of it as, uh, you know, sort of pompous and, and self-indulgent. Um, and maybe there's some aspect to that a little bit. But, uh, you know, in, in the book, I actually try and take a stab at vaguely defining it. And, and, and what I try to say is that it is either one of two things. It's technical in nature either by the skill of the musicians or the, or the uh, adventurous nature of the production, right? So it's bands that are trying to do a little bit extra with the music from that regard. And, and then the other thing is, especially now more than ever, it's the disregard for any commercial attention. Um, you know, there, it's bands that are, or artists that are willing to record the type of music they want to record, you know, hit singles, you know, whatever. 
And, um, and out of that, you get full albums and full experiences and full concepts. And sometimes that doesn't mean 25 minute songs. It can mean a brilliant album collection of four minute songs, but it's sort of more mentality to me than anything. Uh, there are a lot of songwriters in mainstream rock music who can write very melodic three to four minute songs that are very good for what they are. I mean, these people are good at what they do. It's just that I'm not that interested in what it is that they do. But Correct. <laughs> I mean, from time to time, who doesn't like an occasional song from the 80s for nostalgia reasons? But when I come across people who listen to nothing but that, I just feel sorry for them, that their lives, they're missing out on stuff that, that can enrich <laughs> them so much. So, so that's kind of the way I look at it. But before we get into the subject matter of this book, I do want to raise a question that I tried to raise with Ian Anderson back on episode number three of this show, which was back in the 70s, in 72 and 73, Jethro Tull was able to release two albums in a row, each of which was all one song. All one song, Thick as a Brick and a Passion Play, and each of them hit number one in the United States. That is impossible to imagine happening today. Yeah. What has changed in the interim? And I was kind of trying to drive him to say people have gotten stupider, but he wasn't, <laughs> didn't seem to be having that. What, what do both of you think about that? Well, you know, not to not to go in that direction, but in a sense, that's sort of like that. And, and I don't mean to say it's the dumbing of, of society in a sense of that maybe people got stupider. I think in a sense, you know, radio stations, TV stations, all that kind of stuff, they've tried to cater to a uh, common denominator. You know, this might appeal to more people. It's simpler. It's more vast and easy to accept. And so we'll just do that. And, and uh, it's a whole thing with getting down to radio stations being purchased by one conglomerate and, and there's no real DJs anymore putting their own imprint on what gets played. And, uh, you know, so it's all of that sort of eventually got to the point where it, you know, simpler sort of won out, I think. What do you think, Brad? Tom, yeah, I, and I, I agree absolutely with Roy. And I'd go back to your opening statement too, Tom, where you asked, you know, is this a thing of the past? And I think one of the great things that Roy has done in his book, which other people like Dave Weigel, who wrote a very nice book, you know, they seem to conclude that prog rock has way past whatever it once had. I think commercially, that's probably true, uh, at least for now. It could always revive. But in terms of its art, I think it is better now, even though you said, Tom, this may be heretical. I mean, I'm hearing people, you know, whether it's Glass Hammer or Neil Morris or you know, Marillion or Big Big Train, I, the kinds of complexity that they're bringing to the music, obviously they're drawing upon Yes and Genesis, but they're doing it in such a way that it really has become much more professional. And of course, production techniques are so much better. Uh, but I also think you know, when we look back to the early 70s, one of the major things that allowed something like Jethro Tull to have those two one-song albums in a row was simply FM radio. FM radio was the Wild West at the very beginning of the 1970s. You have very few regulations on it. Everything was still AM. Uh, and so these FM stations that were trying to compete, they were able to do 30 minutes of commercial free music. Uh, probably because they didn't have the advertisers at the moment. And you're also coming out of the 60s and the whole idea of you know, the idea that we don't want these massive corporations. So corporations were actually taking advantage and making money on that kind of idea that we don't want the mass corporations. Uh, and they were doing well. But you know, labels like Chrysalis, which was Jethro Tull's label, you know, in the beginning, they really were for the art, not just for the money. 
And uh, they saw that they were able to make a lot of money through the art. And I think that yeah, that's changed dramatically over the last 30 years. Even to this day, though, there is a radio edit of Thick as a Brick that you hear from time to time. So it can be done. It's still just a, it's asking a lot of the listener to trust us that you're going to want to go on a 45-minute musical journey with us. But let's fast forward now to the, the present. I am familiar with the tiniest sliver of the albums in here, so I've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I do like Stephen Wilson, and if you've listened to me on this show for a long time, I have mentioned him every once in a great while. And I would say uh, Stephen Wilson is a guy who uh, is very well respected in these quarters because, among other things, he's done remixes or remasters of a lot of classic albums. So he's gotten to know... Uh, Ian Anderson and, and and Yes and I think King Crimson and sure. a bunch of these other bands and the fact that they would turn to him means something. He himself comes from a band called Porcupine Tree that I, I'm very fond of. But now that he's gone on his own, I think he's produced a mixture of extremely compelling, absolute must-listen material and cacophonous stuff that I can't even bring myself to listen to for five seconds. So, for example, in here you have the raven that refused to sing. There are a couple of really, really devastatingly beautiful and killer, very sad songs on that album. Yeah. But the rest of it I find impossible to get into. It's just really? the sort of stuff I think his band members would have said, oh, come on, stop that. We're <laughs> not going to do this. I know I'm a heretic on this. I much prefer his album after that, Hand Cannot Erase, which still has a little bit too much of the stuff that I don't like, but the first and last songs are absolutely unbelievable. I'm going to let you guys do most of the talking this episode, but I do want to say one sure. thing. This Hand Cannot Erase album, I, I think I've mentioned this before, but the idea behind it is it's based on this woman, Joyce Carol Vincent, and she had very unusual circumstances when she was living, I guess, in London, whereby her expenses were being paid. So it was possible for her to have died for rather a while and nobody to have noticed. Because you might wonder, well, what about her rent? She had some arrangement made. But she basically, yes, yeah, she died and it took like two years before anybody realized that it had happened. Right. And he, she's a lovely young woman and, and, and Wilson was just wondering, how is it possible that you just dissolve into anonymity in the, in the city? It's an interesting exploration. But what devastates me about it is that last song he's taking some poetic license because when she was found she had these gifts by her that she had wrapped we don't know to whom and and so he he has her write a letter in that last song and it's a letter to her brother where she's basically saying she's sending some gifts to the nephews or whatever and and it's the day before she dies and she says i'm feeling kind of drowsy now so i'll finish this tomorrow and you you as the listener know there is no tomorrow and that's just, you know, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's depressing and, and dark, but that's an experience you should have and not just listen to Billy Joel all day. You should have this experience. I agree. I think you're right. <laughs> you're not going to get that from a pop song in, on today's radio for sure. And uh, it's important to be able to uh, experience that. I agree. I agree too, Tom. I mean, that's one of those albums, you know, you could listen to an edited version of it, but it's the full 50 plus minutes that makes the story. But that it's the buildup. It takes that long for that woman's story to be told. And I, I think I think Wilson is a genius on that album lyrically, because and I like it musically too. But I just think he had the guts to make an album, uh, a very humane album uh, about a person that I mean, these are things you know, every one of us has been tempted with. We've all thought about it. Most of us haven't gone through it. She did, and he gives us an incredible insight into the the horrors and the beauty of her life. All right, so Roy, I want to ask you, given that you compiled all these albums, yeah. if you had to pick one 
as the most accessible for somebody who's just curious, which one would it be? Or, or you could pick a couple if that's too hard. Accessible. Uh, well, that's a tough one for this genre, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the thing is with this book, especially it, because I did it chronologically, we start at 1990 and we run through 2016. It runs sort of through the beginning stages of the, the, the end of the hair metal era where Queen Drake is starting to throw in some prog metal and Fate's Warning, and those are in the beginning. And that's one style leading into the dream theaters and and so on. And then in the middle, you start to get a little back into the neo-prog with Marillion and bands like IQ and Spock's Beard is, starts getting into the picture. And then at the end, you get um, even heavier. Uh, really heavy metal and progressive metal starts to to bridge into the music. So it's hard to pick one that will be all-encompassing. But for me, I think the most accessible band during this whole period is is really Spock's Beard, f- for me, because they're able to write. Neil Morris is a is a brilliant just pop song writer. While he's a, a mad genius as far as prog, he can write a four minute pop song full of melodies and great lyrics, and and he could write a great country album. He's done sort of something like that in the last couple of solo albums over the, over the last few years. So I, I might say Spock's Beard. Um, Maybe V might be the most accessible. A lot of people seem to think that's their highlight album. Brad, same question to you. Yeah, well, I'm trying to remember. I read I read Roy's book very carefully, and I loved it. And I, I love the layout. I love what he wrote. And I, I think I would tend to agree, except I would probably say, uh, rather than Spock's Beard from that same time period, I would say probably Marillion's Brave. Uh, just because not only can you get the whole story out of it, but there are a couple of songs in there, uh, Hard as Nails and others, that I think people who are used to just really good rock, uh, they can pick it up pretty quickly. But I love V as well from Spock's Beard. But I, I would definitely go with Marillion's Brave of the ones that Roy has in his book. I've actually had Steve Hogarth on the show some uh, several years ago, lead singer of Marillion these days. And he was just a tremendous guy to get to know and talk to. I, I'm I, sure. I think I like Marbles simply because... The Invisible Man haunts me for the lyrics, and Neverland haunts me for the music. And Neverland is a song of just unbelievable vulnerability that Hogarth, every night, just when he sings that, just performs. It's it's like a miracle. It's, it's amazing what he <laughs> pours into that. If you see a live version of the song Neverland, it's absolutely killer. So Marbles wins just for that. I'm not a huge fan of every single track on it, but that one certainly uh, – certainly is pretty good. Yeah. There's an omission in here, and, I, and some of it, of course, depends on definitions. Do we well, think, there are a lot of omissions. So but, to me, the, but for me, the biggest omission would be Big Big Train. And you may argue whether they belong in a progressive compilation, but they do enough adventurous and interesting stuff. That oh, they're, I, they're in the book. Oh, you mean they're not in the book at all? Well, let's see. I'm, I'm looking at the... Oh, no, yeah. English... Uh, Ingus, oh, English sure enough. 232. In there. It is. Oh, I, yeah. My English eyes Richard. just passed over. Oh, okay, Roy, I officially say there are no oversights in your book. <laughs> okay, great. Okay, all right. Thank <laughs> goodness. There it is on 232. I don't if know how anything, it, If anything, looking back, I feel bad there's not more Big Big Train. Okay. But that's, well, you know, that the album. timing was... Timing was, they got cut off the last couple of years. They've actually put out a couple albums I, I know. put in the book. But, well, they, um, they have this album, English Electric, and I have a musician friend who now has his own podcast. I think it's called Musicpreneur. And he says that 
my introducing him to Big Big Train, he's a top-notch musician, changed his life absolutely for the better. So I wonder if you guys, I think they are one of the least known bands in the world considering the quality of what they put out. I think it's a crime that people don't know them. The, the, well, it I, astonishes me. I, yeah, I want to I talk about Big Big Train a lot because that's the band that changed a lot of things for me. I, and actually, I want to go back because we talked about a few albums that came out in 2013. That's a significant year for Prague, I believe, and actually for myself, because that's when I started my website, The Prague Report, which is where I eventually got to doing the book and, and so on. But we started. I started that in 2013 because there was this big resurgence in Prague. All these amazing albums that seemed to come out in that one year. Uh, Stephen Wilson's Raven album came out, Big Big Training, uh, English Electric, Spock's Beard had a great comeback album with Brief Nocturnes. Um, Flower Kings had a great album come out. There was a bunch of albums that came out in that one year. And I just could not believe all this great music was finally coming back. Because the last maybe 15 years prior, while there was good music, it was sporadic. You'd get one album here, one album there that was this good of prog quality. Um, and Big Big Train was one band that I just did not know existed, especially in the States. And I only stumbled about them because Nick DiVirgilio, who is a favorite drummer of mine from Spock's Beard, was in the band and I had just found out. And yeah, I, I agree. The English Electric album blew my mind. I, I couldn't believe someone was producing something absolutely equivalent to the level of what the classic Genesis albums was. Every bit is good, in my opinion, if you like that that style. Um, but there was a big turn in that in that year, and since then, Big Big Train has become one of the uh, one of the biggest bands in Prague, undoubtedly. Yeah, they've gotten a lot of uh, a lot more attention. That's that's absolutely true, and Brad has played a big role in that, to be sure. Yeah. The um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad that they're starting to get some recognition. But I would say to people if they if they get English Electric Full Power, which is the like the double album, I am actually not that impressed with track number one. So don't switch it off after track number one. Go right to track number two. Listen all the way through, and then listen again, and then listen a third time. And you're going to suddenly say, whoa, okay, now it just hit me. In fact, actually, the first rebreather came on, and I got into that one immediately. Very rare. With progressive music, it takes me a while. i got to really let it sink in. That one, I immediately saw what they were doing, and I said, wow, this is great. I'm so glad I know this exists. So I owe this to Brad for telling me about it. So so thanks, <laughs> thanks to Brad. Now, I'm going to have each of you pick out um, – I don't know, it's hard to do this because in a way I just want to talk about albums that people need to know. I think I'm going to title this episode something like, Without This Music, Your Life Is Worse, just to get people's attention. <laughs> so I do want That's to focus one. on the good as opposed to, let's say, the experiments gone wrong. I'd rather focus on the essential albums that you include in here. Who would you say is the best known band in this collection? Well, I, I would say Dream Theater. Dream Theater's got to be, yeah. It would be the main one. Uh, they've had a really long career. They, they play big arenas and stadiums all over the world. Maybe not as big in the States, but they still do really big venues in the States and really great business. And um, uh, so I would have to say Dream Theater is still doing very well. How do you think the age of the Internet helps or hinders this kind of music? Uh, I think it's helped. It's done nothing but help. It's allowed you to discover this music in ways you never could before because you can't rely on on radio to show it to you. And uh, and now you don't need that. And uh, with, with even things like Spotify or 
where you get recommendations about the similar type of music, or if you follow my, my site, Prog Report, or Brad's site, Progarchy, there's so many avenues to get uh, informed about new bands. Hey, if you like this band, you might like this band, and you can even reach out to half these bands online, and they'll write you back, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. yeah, and Brad, I'm sure you've done that. I have, and you know, I'm always interested who writes back and who doesn't. I'm sure some people just think I'm a nutball when I write to them. I'm sure, Roy, you've had that happen too, but I bet with your book, uh, you're getting a lot better attention than you were. But it is really interesting to see these people because so many of this third wave, and maybe we're in the fourth wave now, but this third wave of progressive rock musicians, yet they're basically us who went a different path. And I think they recognize that they have to be very open in a decentralized age. Yeah, they don't have the labels backing them generally. Inside Out, obviously, is great, and K-Scope and others. But uh, they don't have the same kind of label support they once had. And I'm not saying that they're friendly only because it's in their self-interest. But there's no doubt that they recognize to be well-known, they have to be accessible to the audience. And I, I find that absolutely fascinating because I think it changes the music. The music has to address us. It can't, the audience is a major factor in this wave of prog uh, in a way that I think it's been different for a lot of musicians for a long time. A lot of musicians, when you think about The Cure, uh, The Cure was huge, but partly because they had this image and you get all these teenage kids who wanted to be a part of that image in the 80s and early 90s. That's not true with Big Big Train. Big Big Train's not an image. Big Big Train's an art form. And you either believe in that art or you don't. So you're not you're not tuning into Big Big Train because Greg Spotton's a really good looking guy with an image. You're right. tuning into him because Greg Spotton knows how to write a lyric, and that that's a huge difference, I think. Well, the the loss of radio for these bands has actually been a positive in the same thing that you're talking about, Brad, because they know they don't have a chance of having a hit single anymore. So now your advantage is to go all in and do whatever you feel passionately about, whether it's a long epic or not, or a, a one song on a whole album, and appeal to that fan base and reach them directly and talk to them and invite them to come see you and uh, build a community around it. And that's what saved this music right now. And, and Tom, if you don't mind, I'll, yeah, I'll jump in on what please. Roy said. I think the single most important thing about these bands that we love when we're talking about Big Big Train nobody has built a better community of an audience or listeners than that single band has. The big, big train, Greg Spotton has not only built a community of musicians for the band itself, but you know, there's the online forum for on Facebook. It, it, it's, I don't, I can't imagine a more active forum than the one for big, big train. I think even dream theater, which would draw more numbers, certainly, uh, they don't have that kind of fan response in terms of let's talk about what this lyric means. Let's think about why you use this trumpet here or this here. I mean, that that's where Greg has Greg Spotton has been just unbelievably successful. Agreed. I want to talk about uh, any interesting stories about the music because this is obviously you know it's a compilation of the best essential albums you've got to have. But there must be some interesting, compelling stories about the making of the music in one case or another, or something that surprised you or was unusual. Any, anything like that you can share? Oh, boy, I just, I'm trying. My, my 
brain is racing through to try and figure out which is the story to to, to pull. But okay. I guess one of the biggest ones, if and talking maybe to an audience that that isn't as aware, is the Spock's beard uh, story with their album Snow and their lead singer Neil Morris, who quit right after putting that album out. And for people that don't know, Spock's beard is very similar to Genesis, not only musically, but in that particular story. So Neil Morris was the main guy who wrote all the songs and was the band essentially, while the rest of the band are amazing players and certainly noteworthy. But he, he wrote the music. It was all his vision. And they were building legitimate success over five albums. And here they come to do their double album, which is similar to Genesis Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, but a guy going to New York and finding himself and sort of different things like that. And he's struggling with it during the whole time of the recording, knowing that he needs to leave the band after this. Same thing with Peter Gabriel and Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And sure enough, a week after Snow gets released, he informs the band and the label he's leaving and goes off on uh, what became more of a religious-based solo career and um, has reinvented himself to be one of the top three or four most successful musicians in Prague today. Meanwhile, Spock's beard kept on going. Their drummer took over as lead singer, much like Phil Collins took over for Genesis. So a lot of parallels there. And for, uh, for people that aren't familiar, that's a pretty unique one. That's a great story. Now I want to ask you guys to do um, something kind of like what I did at the beginning where I made a pretty good case, I think, for listening to the album Hand Cannot Erase, and particularly that last song, Happy Returns, and how haunting it is. I'd like each of you to pick uh, an album and make a similar case to listeners. You go first, Brian. I need okay. a second. <laughs> okay, no problem. I, You know, for me, and, and I have to, I hope you don't mind, Tom, talking too much about Big Big Train, but I first heard Big Big Train because of Carl Olson, who's the editor of Catholic World Report, a great guy. Uh, I first heard Big Big Train when their Underfall Yard album came out in 2009. And I, I feel like it was one of those things for me personally that I had been wanting for a long time. I've been a prog listener. You know, I'm 50 and I've been a prog listener because I had two older brothers since about 1972. So, you know, when I was about four or five, I was introduced to it. And uh, I loved it even then, though I didn't quite understand what it was. And for me, the only album... And I don't think you and I share this passion, Tom, on this, but really the only album that had ever quite spoken to me the way the Underfall Yard was, was Moving Pictures by Rush. And they're very different albums, but it really was for me the Underfall Yard. And I was just, you know, that was the first time they had David Longdon as the singer. It was the first time that you had Nick DiVirgilio as the drummer. You had Dave Gregory from XTC as the guitarist. Yeah, everything just came together in that album for me, the themes, everything. And I have to tell a really quick, this is a name dropping personal story, (laughs) but I had a young woman in my Western heritage class at Hillsdale whose last name was Dee Virgilio. And I thought, okay, this is too weird. And, And I came up to her after class, beautiful young woman. And I said, Gabby, I have to tell you, you know, my second favorite drummer in rock after Neil Peart is this man named Nick B. Virgilio. Are you any relation? And she says, well, Professor Berzer, that's my uncle. Wow. (laughs) It was one of those great moments where it's like, holy Moses, this is too wild to pull all together. But yeah, 
for me, Tom, it, it's the underfall yard. And it's not, I, I think, again, not only is Greg Spotton brilliant, but that man has dedicated his life to making this band work. And now that he's in his 50s, it's working. And this is a story of struggle where the guy did everything he could to make this band work. And it was putting that group together in 2008 and 2009 to record that album that made that band what it is and where they're at today. All right, ready or not, Roy, it's your turn. <laughs> well, uh, so there's three albums that changed my life at different periods. I'm not going to talk about all three in length, but uh, Dream Theater's Images and Words, and I talk about how significant that was for me in starting this, basically this book off. And then Spock's Beard Delight, which is their first album, and Porcupine Trees in Absentia, which came out many years oh, yeah. later and started a new era for me of, of listening. Um, so those three together mark for me the most important albums in my listening over the last 25 years. But the album that I, I want to talk about, and it's in, in uh, going against what you were saying, Tom, is actually Stephen Wilson's Raven That Refused to Sing. Wow, um, that is a... Gutsy choice. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I just think the time, the first time I heard that album, and I'd been a long time Stephen Wilson fan. Uh, Porcupine Chew was one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite band during that few years. And I wasn't thrilled with his first two solo albums because I thought they went way off to a whole nother realm of experimenting. But The Raven was... It just blew my mind. It blows my mind to this day. I think every song on it is complete and utter genius. And the last song, the title track, just devastates me every time. I mean, the first time I heard it, and if you watch the video, I, I you start crying. It 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 is so deep about the the title track and that song itself about this guy who misses his dead sister and sort of starts trying to communicate with a, a crow about that. And, and and how he's longing for his dead sister and, and all the emotions that come from that. And it's just a few lyrics, but the performances are intense. Um, yeah, just I, I think it's the most brilliant album to come out in, in the last 10 years. It's interesting when I saw him in concert. Well, I've seen him a couple of times, but it wasn't for that album, I don't think, where he, I heard him say, I'm now going to perform you the greatest song I've ever written. And it's the raven that refused to sing. And then he said, now, you can disagree with me, but you're wrong. This is the greatest song I ever wrote. I, I, listen, I'm one of those people that agrees with him. I think yeah. it's... I think he's full I think of it's it. just... I think <laughs> it's a devastating I like song. No, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful song. It really, really is. I, I agree. But I actually think on that same album, even more devastating for me is the song Drive Home. Another brilliant. And, Absolutely. And, and that's a video that people should go watch. You watch that Drive Home album, and, and I'll just, or, or song, and I'll just say, I posted this on my Facebook page once, and I don't usually do music on, on my Facebook, but I, I posted this and I said, you know, here are these, it's animated. Here are these two people driving down the street. Uh, and, he, and suddenly he turns and his companion is no longer in the car. And it seems this is impossible. What could have happened? Wait until you find out the terrible truth. And I just left it there. Well, everybody had to click. What's the terrible <laughs> truth? How is it possible that you could be driving along and then your companion is missing? What is the terrible truth? And when you find out the terrible truth, it just it just grabs your heart and won't let go. It's amazing. They actually made a computer game out of this that my kids play. Yeah. Um, called The Last Day of June. And it's a geez, that game is really great. We have to we have to get back to it and finish it. We're close. 
but uh, but no cigars so far. Well, you talk about I mean, you talk about criminally under underappreciated in America, Stephen Wilson, who actually does really well here and is still not known. I mean, he's sold yeah, out. Yeah, he's two, ignored. He's ignored. He sold out two nights at the the Best Buy Theater in New York, which is a, a very nice sized place. And yeah, I was I there. Did, yeah, I was there yeah, for one of them. Yeah, yeah, did two shows there, and uh, so he's doing really well. Um, but yet can't get a sniff <laughs> on, you know, Rolling Stone and uh, different things like that. So who knows? But um, that guy's as good as anyone that's ever done it. And, you know, in my opinion. Yeah, totally agree. Well, any, hey, yeah, Tom, I, I want to get a final word from Brad and a final word from Roy. So, Brad, go ahead. Oh, I just want to make sure I've got to mention one other band because uh, after Big Big Train, they're my favorite. And that's Glass Hammer from America. And uh, I, they're a band that's been around since 1992. So their 26th year. And like big, big train, they get better with every single album. And I think their last album Valkyrie from last year, I think it is one of the strongest albums I've ever heard. Um, and so not only do I love the band, but I think I, I would feel remiss after this whole conversation if I didn't mention them and especially that album. All right. I appreciate that. And then, Roy, you are the author of the book. Um, why don't you make your elevator pitch for why people should get it? By the way, I'm going to, of course, link to the book. It's Essential Modern Progressive Rock Albums, Images and Words Behind Prague's Most Celebrated Albums, 1990 to 2016. I'll link to that at tomwoods.com slash 1204, our show notes page for today. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and Tom, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's a lot of fun to always talk about it. I, and I appreciate you bringing Prague to your audience. It's always great. Uh, to have somebody like you doing that. I want their lives to be better. And honestly, this <laughs> makes you your life better. I mean, by the way, if you listen Amen. to, I mean, if we're talking about older prog, if you listen to Turn of the Century by Yes from 1977, that makes your life better. Objectively, your life is now it better. Does. All it right, does. anyway, go, go ahead, Roy. Sorry to take your time. Well, uh, you know, I think it's important to note that this this book is not about saying that prog is better now or that Prague back then wasn't good or anything like that. It's simply saying you don't have to only listen to Yes and Genesis. There is other music to listen to, and it's fantastic. And in, and what I tried to do in this book is just bring that to light. Uh, some of these albums are albums that people know. Some of them they've never heard of. Take some time. There's over 70 albums covered in, in the book. And uh, Prague today is, is doing really well. It's very healthy. It's become the rock music of this modern era that we're in with bands that are flourishing, bands that are doing some of the most creative music that has ever been out. And if you like Yes and you think nothing's better than Yes, that's great. We love Yes. But that doesn't mean some of these bands aren't great. There's a lot of bands like Haken, Deer Hunter, Thank You Scientist, all these brand new bands that have come out in the last five to 10 years that are doing some of the most amazing music you'll hear. And I hope people check out the book. I hope they check out some of the bands and like you're saying, make their lives better. Absolutely. Well, Roy Avon and Brad Berzer, I wish we could talk for four hours, but uh, maybe, you know, we got to do this again, obviously. I mean, I'm unfortunately in a bit of haste because I have some travel coming up, but uh, we should do this again, especially because I've been teasing this episode for like a year and a half or two years. When are you going to have Brad Berzer back on? That's when I know I've got a real hardcore Tom Woodshow fan. When they say, when are you going to have Brad on to talk about music again? I say, yeah, you guys get me. You people get me. Tom, we need to get you over to Morse Fest and start getting into the whole Neil Morse vibe too. All right, look, I'm I'm open to all of it. So uh, <laughs> anyway, um, again, thanks to both you gentlemen, Brad. We'll talk about your book uh, when it comes out, of course. But great. again, thanks to both of you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you very it was much. Great talking to you guys. Thanks so you much. You too, Brad. Tom nice Roy. to see you.
All right, folks, before I let you go, I have a website created by a listener that's very, very appropriate for a music episode like this. That's johnnyjohnmusic.com. It's the site for Johnny John and the Schemin' Dreamers. They describe themselves as a loose confederation of musicians who've just released a three-song EP, Let There Be Drums. So if you're a fan of old-school Jeff Beck or Gary Moore or Frank Marino, then you are going to enjoy this music. Available everywhere. A limited run of 10-inch vinyl is also available exclusively through the store at johnnyjohnmusic.com. So support musicians who listen to The Tom Woods Show and who enjoy these bonus episodes as much as you do. So check them out over at johnnyjohnmusic.com. All this stuff that we've been talking about, the music, the recommendations, the book, the guests for today, the listener website I just mentioned, I'll link to all of it at tomwoods.com slash 1204. See you next week. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.